everyone, and welcome to Debating Metal. I'm your host, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, along with my co-host, Chris Kay. You always hear about the big four of thrash metal, and lots of fans and critics try to come up with their own version of the big four of thrash. But what I seldom hear are big fours in other subgenres, specifically glam metal. From New York City to the Sunset Strip in L.A., glam metal rose to prominence in the early 80s and rode the wave of popularity until the rise of grunge in the 1990s. On this episode, Kenneth and I will give you our versions of the Big Four of glam metal, and at the end, we'll give you our Big Four glam metal vocalists. So put on your mascara and lipstick, sit back, relax, pout your lips, crank this sucker to 11, and let the debate begin. All right. The Big Four of glam metal or what we think, you and I think, are the big four of glam metal. And I'm pretty sure our lists are not going to be the same. So we're going to... I don't know. Yeah, I mean... throw this out there and see what we come up with. You and I have different uh, ideas of the genre, I think. You know, and so I'm, I'm interested to see where your opinions lie versus mine. Now, I mean, anybody who's been listening to this show for the past three years... Um, we'll know that I'm relatively mainstream when it comes to a lot of things. And there's a few things here and there that I've gone off the mainstream to like, you know, specifically like a band like Saigon Kick. And I say that they're they're not mainstream only because they weren't around for very long. They weren't super popular, but they did have a hit. They did have a gold uh, gold single with Love Is On The Way. But for the most part, they were regional, you know. Um, so you'll you'll catch a person here and there who might know about them, but not not a lot. They're not huge. So that to me is what I would say is not mainstream. Um, but then, you know, mainstream in terms of glam metal, we're talking about all the big guys and that's what we're going to talk about. Now we're going to narrow it down to four of the biggest that we think maybe in, in my opinion, I would say influential, um, popular, biggest sellers, who knows, you know, all that combined, you might have a different idea. I probably will. <laughs> All right. So, so the way that we're going to do this is we're going to both basically talk about, we're going we're gonna to announce our list of each big four that we have. And then if we have anybody similar, if we have any in common, then we'll talk about, you know, what we, what we found uh, to like about those, the, that band or those bands. Um, whatever we don't have in common, then we're going to basically defend our choice and uh, go from there. So throw out your big four glam metal bands. Uh, so, all right. So my big four, um, I guess let's just get it out of the way. Um, mine are, are Motley Crue, Poison, Quiet Riot, and Bon Jovi. Wow. My, what I think are the big four of glam metal. I have some similarities to you. We actually have a 50-50 split. Okay. I've got Motley Crue, Dokken, Rat, and Bon Jovi. So we have both Motley Crue in common and both Bon Jovi in common. So okay. we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and talk about Motley Crue and Bon Jovi first, each separately, obviously, and kind of give a reason why we chose them for for our big four glam metal bands. All right, so before we, we talk about Molly Crew and, and the rest of the bands, uh, let's go ahead and, and, and basically let everyone know if, if for some reason someone out there is listening who doesn't know the individual people in the band and their albums that make up 
their their career. Um, let me list it real quick here. Motley Crue consists of Vince Neil on vocals, Nikki Six on bass, Tommy Lee on drums, and Mick Mars on guitar. Now, Mick Mars obviously left just a few years ago, or was it this year? This year, right? He quit. He uh, quote unquote quit. <laughs> right. Pushed out. Yeah. <laughs> was was uh, given the concrete shoes. <laughs> All right. Um, now, Motley Crue formed in 1981. And they had five albums that came out in the 1980s, all considered classic albums. Um, the first one was Too Fast for Love, which went platinum. Shout at the Devil, uh, which went f- quadruple platinum. Theater of Pain, that went quadruple platinum. Girls, 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 that went quadruple platinum. And Dr. Feelgood, that went six times platinum. Motley Crue retired in 2015 and then they reformed in 2018 to record some new music for their movie the dirt that was coming out and then they actually reunited for a full-blown tour in 2020 that ended up getting canceled due to the pandemic but as we all know they they did it again in 2020 if i'm not mistaken excuse me 2022 sorry and then they're back at it again they did some more dates this year and they're doing europe next year yeah, I mean, the shell of Motley Crue is still touring. The, the shell of Motley, basically, <laughs> the skeleton. All right, so what, what is it? What is it that? Uh, Why do you choose Motley Crue? For me, when I think of glam, you know that that attitude, the look, everything like that, I really think of Motley Crue. That they're the f- band that kind of first and foremost comes to mind. Um, you know those those. First few albums, like Too Fast for Love is a little bit heavier, but it still has that glam, you know, appearance to it. But but albums like Shout at the Devil, Theater of Pain, Girls, 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 those to me are like glam, glam, you know. Um, sure, by the time you get into the 90s, especially, you know, with the Motley Crue album and, you know, then getting into Generation Swine, etc. Sure, like they really kind of backed off of the whole glam thing but like even to this day you look at uh nikki six and you know he's just an older glam guy you know um the music is is just about decadence it's about you know hooking up with girls and and things like that so i mean there's not ever really been more depth to (laughs) motley Crue than just that and it really fits the whole glam scene. It they they're one of the the bands that truly defines it for me. You know, and and I I would agree with you on that regards because I mean when you think about for for me when I think about glam, I think about uh, the sleazy side of it. I guess you could say the or the sleazy look of it. You know, and Motley Crue totally totally you know, fit that vibe. They, they had that sleazy look to them. Um, there's a few other bands that had that look to them in the eighties. Most of them came out of the LA sunset strip scene. Yeah. But, um, I mean, they know, still got the sleaze down, you know? Well, but yeah, but they're, uh, they're older now. <laughs> so <laughs> older and just as sleazy as ever. <laughs> exactly. But you know, the the thing is, you know, when I when we when I started doing this and started doing the research, you know, very minimal because I obviously lived through this. Um, it, it surprised me how many records they sold on those classic albums. 
I mean, Too Fast for Love really should be more like a double platinum album, and maybe they just haven't gone back to to recertify it for whatever. But Shout, Theater, and Girls, all quadruple platinum, four times platinum. And then uh, Dr. Feelgood, I knew, was the, their biggest seller because it was just a huge album at the time. Um, I, I'm just really surprised at those numbers, quite honestly. And, you know, you and I were kind of touching upon not the necessarily the specific bands, but we kind of were talking about Vince Neil and Motley Crue earlier today. And, and the one thing that really, really surprises me about them is that when you listen to the albums, like for instance, Theater Pain, there's really, for the most part, two or three solid songs on that that I would say are really, really good songs. Girls, yeah. Girls, Girls to me has two songs and the rest of the album is relatively questionable. Um, you know, cause like wild side and girls, girls, girls are so far and above way above better than the rest of the album, you know? And then, you know, we discussed Dr. Feelgood on a head to head way early, uh, in, in the, uh, the career of debating metal. <laughs> and there was part of that album where he's like, this is trash this album this song stinks and we actually chose but i think both you and i both chose shout at the devil as a better album than dr feelgood so and then for that to be six million you know six million seller yeah it had some good singles don't go away mad dr feelgood kicks out my heart but the like what was good was great what was bad was bad <laughs> you know and and that's that's Motley Crue in a nutshell. It's just like, it's, it's one or the other. And I, you know, we're, we're discussing them in the, in the sense of the big four. And so I don't really, by this point at the end of the eighties, by the time that, that glam metal began to die, uh, to me, their influence was already set. So I, 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 we're not going to talk about the nineties and what they're doing today. Other than the fact that Mick Mars is no longer in the band. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I see I see why cuz they were one of the first ones and they were the ones that were for lack of a better term most popular. Um biggest sellers maybe. Uh sleaziest maybe. <laughs> you know, they did some crazy shit and they're still here to talk about it, which is amazing. <laughs> Not everybody related to them is around to talk about it, but uh yeah. Um yeah, but I mean that's just part of the scene. That's I mean, again, like I've said before, glam metal was all about decadence, and that band lived it up, and they still do. Yes, they still do. Um, they uh, they are definitely one of the big four glam metal bands out there. All right, so you also had in common with me Bon Jovi. Yes, I did. So Bon Jovi consists of. John Bon Jovi on vocals, Richie Sambora on guitars, David Bryan on keyboards, Tico Torres on drums, and Alec John Such on bass. That's the original five guys. Um, they formed in 1983. They had uh, four classic albums that came out in the 1980s, and that was uh, Bon Jovi, which went platinum, 7,800 degrees Fahrenheit, which went platinum, uh, and Slippery went wet went diamond it actually sold 12 million copies and new jersey sold 7 million copies now 
a, an album that they released, I believe it was in 1990 or 91, was uh, Keep the Faith. But that was the, the, the point at which Bon Jovi started to make a, a not-so-sharp left turn, but they were starting to make that left turn. So we're not going to discuss that because that's really not important for what we're discussing. Um, and one last note, Alec John Such quit slash was fired in 1994, and he actually passed away last year at the age of 70. Um, so you picked Bon Jovi. What, what is it? Why did you pick Bon Jovi? I mean, Bon Jovi had such mass appeal. Um, you know, honestly, one of the biggest bands that we're talking about, um, if not the biggest band that we're talking about, because they did reach diamond status. Um, you know, it Bon Jovi was one of those bands that, even if you weren't necessarily into the glam scene, the music was so good that it, it appealed to a much wider audience. Um, so, you know, for me, when I think of glam, sometimes I don't think of Bon Jovi initially because, you know, he has, or the band has changed so much over the years. But when you really look at those early days, you know, the, the, the first few years of, of, of glam, um, they've certainly exemplified the genre and, you know, it's just the quality of the music. Like I said, like they they had such great singles during that time that I mean, if you said Bon Jovi, I think just about anybody could could name a song off. You know, Wanted, Dead or Alive, Living on a Prayer, You Give Love a Bad Name, um, uh, Runaway. You know, it's just like those first four albums. They they stayed within that that glam genre. And then they're one of the bands also, like you said, we're not going to really talk about the, the change, but I, I think it's kind of important. Like Bon Jovi has really remained relevant this entire time. And, and you know, like other big fours that we are aware of, um, there are bands that, that managed to do that, you know, even beyond when, when they were popular for a certain genre of music, they can adapt, grow, change, you know, and it's, it doesn't feel like a sellout. Like, I don't think anybody ever thought Bon Jovi was a sellout, other than maybe selling out stadiums, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, don't think, I don't think Bon Jovi ever was considered a sellout. And I, I, a lot of that had to do with the fact that their, their appeal was mostly to, uh, if, for what it's worth, mostly to women, right? Um, but, you know, obviously guys dug the music. But at some point, you know, as they made that slow left turn – they then eventually made a hard left turn and they actually, from what was it? They made like sort of like a, they redid their classic songs almost in a, an acoustic country style. So they went more like pop country towards the end, you know, um, you know to some degree. Yeah. Maybe a little. Yeah. I you mean, know, they, they definitely pop, went hard rock, pop, soft rock, you know? Right. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, hey, kudos to them for being able to remain relevant, and that's great. You know, Motley, look, for all for, for what it's worth, Motley Crue, obviously, having returned, well, not even returned, because they never left, per se, but after, you know, when they retired in 2015 and they, they decided to come back because of their Dirt movie, you know, the fact that they 
were gone for for five years at that point you know well three years when they when when they decided to start making new music for the movie and in five years when they announced that they were coming back after retiring you know to to, to go and sit there and say oh we're gonna go do a stadium tour you know that that took a lot of balls but at the same time they had help because they brought along with them Def Leppard. Okay. And then they brought along some really good underbands. Joan Jett was one of the, one of the artists that was with them. I forgot who the other ones were, you know, so that it was a good bill. You know? Yeah. You know, there's a lot were- of people that go see bands by accident. You know, I, I kind of make that joke a lot. Like I've seen lamb of God many times by accident. And it's, <laughs> exactly. and it's, it's because I I go to see whoever the headliner is, and I'm like, oh sweet, Lamb of God's there too. Cool, <laughs> you know, like it's just it's, and, and that's kind of the thing. Like I think a lot of people probably were like, I want to go see Def Leppard. Oh, Motley Crue's there too. You know, <laughs> well, you know, I I don't think I don't think they would be able to have done a successful stadium tour without the help of Def Leppard. Without a huge name like Def Leppard, yeah, you know if they're going by themselves and then and they've got you know Joan Jett and Cheap Trick opening it for them, they're not selling stadiums. That's 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 a, a shed show all day long. But you know who am I? The fact that they actually did a stadium tour two years in a row, you know that that was uh, quite um, quite a feat. Now, how successful the second half that second year or this year was, I I can't say, but. I agree with you with Bon Jovi. Bon Jovi's so I, I I decided, you know what, let me go ahead and listen to the first album for the first time ever. Mm-hmm. I've never listened to that album in a conscious way. Ever. I I know about um Runaway. I know about the song She Don't Know Me. Um, but as a whole, front to back, I I don't think I've ever consciously listened to it and, and said, "Oh, Bon Jovi's first album." And I tell you, tell you this right now: "Runaway," if it came out today, is a hit. And the reason why is it's that song still sounds fresh. It still sounds relevant. The it does not sound dated whatsoever. The keyboards don't have that cheesy '80s sound to them. Um, there's another song I think that, that comes right after that. Um, uh, can't remember what the title is. There's that song has a cheesy keyboard to it. Then, uh, a show that it wasn't shot through the heart, but there was another song. Um, and I'm trying to, I'm, I'm pulling up the, the list right now. Um, just so we can go over it really, really quick. Um, oh, that song roulette. That's the song. The second song in the album had a really like cheesy keyboard. The the sound of it sounded almost demo-ish to some degree. It, it didn't sound anywhere good as as good or as clean as Runaway. Right. So I'm listening to this and I'm like, you know, this is why Bon Jovi, you know, basically hit it right away. I mean, the song Runaway was great. You know, She Don't Know Me was catchy. And then he, you know, and they built, it was just a platinum album, but it built. I mean, Runaway was huge. And the 7,800 Degrees Fahrenheit, another album, which I don't think I've listened to all the way through, you know, but In and Out of Love was huge. And on MTV, that was big. And then I believe they, they had the, a hit single with Silent Night. 
So then, then comes 1986. That was a fucking huge year. <laughs> Great year. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, some guy I know was born that year. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, it's true, but also just it's a great year for music in general. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, Slippery When Wet comes out, and that just puts Bon Jovi into the stratosphere, you know. Um, and then they follow it up with New Jersey, which was just as big. I mean, not as big, but I mean, dude, selling 7 million copies of an album is pretty big. I mean, it's not easy to go diamond, you know, and, and at the time, it wasn't diamond, you know, it hadn't sold 10 million in 1987, 1988, but you know, you know, give it five, six years. And yeah, it became a big seller. New Jersey was huge, was huge, you know, and even keep the faith was pretty big, you know, a couple years later. So, you know, I agree. I mean, they, to me, they were big, 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 big influence on that scene. They weren't as sleazy as, as, uh, as Motley Crue. And then that was something about it. Like, you know, I'm pretty sure they kept their private lives as private as possible, you know, and a lot of people had Bon Jovi as his goody two shoes kind of guy. And I'm pretty sure he wasn't. Okay. But at the same time, if I'm not mistaken, didn't he marry his like, like high school sweetheart type of woman? And he's been uh, married for a really I mean, long time. Yeah. I think he's been married to the same person for you know basically since the 80s right so you know he he may not have been completely innocent but at the same time uh, the guy the guy has pretty much lived a, a straightforward life and he i mean he's a workaholic when it comes to his music and stuff like that yeah so, i mean i don't know much about his personal life to be honest um but you, you have to understand like image a lot of times it's reality, you know, like what we perceive people to be is what they are. And, you know, Bon Jovi didn't have this image as a, as a playboy and going out there and getting, you know, drunk and on drugs and stuff like that. And so he has this image of, of being, a, you know, a more in on the more innocent end of, of this, the music scene. Right. So, um, you know, his, his image is pretty tame in comparison to definitely the motley crew oh yeah obviously <laughs> yeah. i mean the, the all the all of them look like little choir boys next to motley crew <laughs> yeah i mean and and the guys in bon jovi all relatively look healthy in comparison to you know like yeah they clean living gets you a lot further along in life so yeah uh so he got married to his wife dorothea in 1989 so not long after um, i was born they, <laughs> true <laughs> but not long after he he rose to to international stardom and i just i'm reading this and this is amazing to me but his his cousin is robert hedges and robert hedges is juan epstein from welcome back cotter and i'm like holy cow it's unfortunate one, uh, you know, Robert passed away uh, in 2012, but holy crap, I had no idea. I mean, I would never have thought that that's his cousin, but hey. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's, I've it's, never heard that before. It's interesting. So I used to watch that show when I was a kid. <laughs> so yeah, I used to love that show. 
Okay, so now you and I have two different uh, three and four, if you want to look at it that way. You chose Poison and Quiet Riot. I chose Dokken and Rat. Um, why don't you go ahead and talk a little bit about Quiet Riot? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to basically just say the, the version of Quiet Riot that, um, you know, really was more related to the glam scene. And that, that was the one that came out with Metal Health. Um, so that was Kevin Dubro on lead vocals, Carlos Cavazzo on guitars, Rudy Sarzo on bass guitar, and Frankie Benali on drums. Um, so the reason I say we're going to talk about that version is because there was a version of Quiet Riot that was before that. In 1978, uh, it was a band featuring um, Kevin Dubro and Randy Rhodes. Randy Rhodes on lead guitar and Kelly Garney on, on bass guitar and Drew Forsyth on drums. So that version basically only stayed in Japan. Um, it wasn't very successful. It broke up. And then uh, Kevin Dubro got permission to continue on with the name Quiet Riot. So it's essentially two different bands in a way. So... There's that kind of history there, but at the same time, I think most people would only really acknowledge the band from Metal Health on. Um, and the reason I picked them is because of the impact that they had on the glam scene. So Metal Health has been certified platinum six times. And the, the big song that came out, well, there were two of them, Come On, Feel The Noise and Metal Health. It caused a giant surgence in that scene. Uh, record companies were looking everywhere to sign bands because that album was so big. It came out of nowhere, it hit like a tank, and it really caused the genesis of a lot of what the metal scene, I mean, the metal scene at the time became. Like, there's a lot of bands who would have never even gotten a chance had Metal Health not come out. And so, even though, like, their their albums following it were never quite as big, that one album was so impactful that it really changed the scene. Um, you know, they, they have been around ever since. Of course, Kevin Dubrow has passed away, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't know what year it was. I apologize. Um, let's see, when did he pass away? 2007. Um, and they've continued on with various singers. Uh, I don't necessarily, you know, have much interest in them now. Um, I think the only one who's around now is Rudy Sarzo, who replaced, replaced Chuck Wright, who replaced Rudy Sarzo at one point. They've kind of gone back and forth. And, and so, you know, that's right, really no, neither here nor there, but their impact of the time was just felt throughout the metal scene, and I don't think the metal scene would have been as big without them. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I, I, I get what you're saying, and, and you know, they're considered to be the first heavy metal band to have a number one album mm -hmm. um, with, with Metal Health, and, I, and I, I see that point of it, and I've heard that same point before. Um, but I don't know. I mean if they if they make if they you know they, they release mental health if it doesn't come out and it doesn't become popular you know do bands like poison cinderella skid row do those bands come out 
I think those bands do, but a lot of the other bands don't exist because they would have never gotten the shot. The, you, you, you're talking about the lesser, the, like the mid, the mid card bands. The mid, yeah, like, like say for instance, um, Dangerous Toys or Crocus or Picks or, or freaking uh, Winger. I mean, like. A lot of those bands, they don't, they don't even get a, a level of notoriety. Um, and so, like, there's still good music that came from a lot of those bands. So it's just a matter of, like, what is a record company looking for? They want the top of the top. They want, they want whatever people want to buy. And so I think a lot of those bands never get a shot. I mean, I could see that. I could see that point of it. Um, I don't totally agree with that only because you had bands like Motley Crue that started in 1981. You have a band like um, Bon Jovi that started the same year as that album broke, but they, they obviously clearly made an impact, you know? Um, and then the band that I'm going to talk about also started before, well, actually probably started around the same time as the original Quiet Riot, but the reformed Quiet Riot, these, these guys were already uh, an established act. Now, what I'm going to talk about is Dokken. Um, okay. Dokken, you know, consists of Don Dokken on vocals and uh, some rhythm guitars, George Lynch on lead guitars and most of the other guitars, Jeff Pilson on bass, and Mick Brown on drums. Now, Don Dokken formed the band Dokken in 1978, but in reality, the classic lineup that's here to the, the or that's that became famous in the 80s formed in I think it was 1980 or 81 or something like that. Um, they released four classic albums in the 80s, which was Breaking the Chains. Um, that did not get certified. Um, Tooth and Nail certified platinum under lock and key certified platinum. Back for the Attack certified platinum. So that classic lineup split up in 1989. They reunited in 1994 and split up again in 1997. They reunited a few years ago. I think it was 2016. They did a show uh, in South Dakota as a warm-up for a gig that they did in Japan. And that band, I believe, has not been together since. Or, or maybe they did a, an album and then Don said, well, I got my band, my regular docking band. I'm just going to use those, you know, those guys from now on. And George Lynch has toured on and off doing one song, one or two songs or three songs a night with Don, you know, so basically George is touring with docking, but he's not really in the band, you know, and it's just a weird thing. And I think the last time, last tour was George, uh, Lynch mob was opening and that's why George was there. Very strange setup. But Dokken, for me, you know, break uh, Tooth and Nail was, you know, was pretty big. I mean, Alone Again was a huge hit. And uh, it just got lucky into the fire. I mean, those were that was a big hit. And then all of a sudden, you know, the next year, they come out with uh, Under Lock and Key. And they, they, you know, they were big, you know. So Under Lock and Key came out in 84. I mean, excuse me, in 85. Tooth and Nail, 84. So, so yeah, you know, I mean, maybe cause you know, like breaking the chains came out the same year as metal health. So maybe because of metal health docking is more popular 
That's a good, that's a good possibility. You know, I mean, I, it is possible. No, we it, will, it, it we will that, never know, but exactly. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things because the American version of, you know, breaking the chains came out in Europe two years earlier in 1981. You know, the American version came out in 1983. It was re-recorded. Um, New recording version, uh, new recorded versions of the, of the old songs, or no, I'm sorry, they were remixed versions of the old songs, and a couple of songs they changed the lyrics to. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, so th- so th- does Dokken become popular because of Metal Health? That's a good possibility, but again, the whole scene was exploding. Motley Crue was exploding. I mean, they were they played, you know, uh, the US Festival the same day as quiet riot who opened the us festival. And so, uh, in 1983, so that was, uh, you know, and Motley Crue came out with their shout at the devil, uh, outfits and they were playing songs from shout at the devil. So I, I don't believe it had been released yet when, when, uh, the us festival happened, but I could be wrong. So, I mean, I, I kind of see your point with, with Quiet Riot and, you know, my counterpoint per se with Dokken, you know, could, could conceivably have been a, a, a byproduct of the fact that Quiet Riot was, was super popular. Yeah, Molly Crew Shout the Devil came out in September of 83. So I believe um, uh, Quiet Riot was already huge at that point. With, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, for me, it's just it's it's a matter of timing. A lot of times, like so, when a band hits, you know, with whatever major album it is, and things fall in place afterward because not necessarily because of inspiration, but they just they generate that initial buzz. And so it could have been anybody else. And let's say, you know, another band shows up that, um, you know, puts out a song and it causes the same effect to some degree. Um, That would be one thing, but that history happened how it happened. And Quiet Riot hit before a lot of the other bands and they had massive appeal for a wide, like wide audience. And it no. just worked out the way it did. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, the US Festival happened uh, May twenty eighth, twenty ninth, and thirtieth of nineteen eighty three. So in May, so Motley Crue played the US Festival in their Shout at the Devil costumes, and Shout at the Devil was still six months out from being released. Mm, and they, okay. they played they played a couple tracks from the album, so that was pretty cool. Um, Motley, uh, excuse me, Quiet Riot um, played that. They opened up the festival. Uh, on heavy metal day and they were they were basically promoting um metal health which had come out two months earlier and turned became number one in november of 1983 so it took a while but i remember that summer man that song come on feel the noise was on it it was on you know it it i believe it became number one song as well so you've got this song that's just on the radio every 45 minutes and it's on pop radio. It's on rock radio. It's on every freaking radio station in the country. And you know, what, what really annoyed me though, as a purist was every time you heard it on, 
on the pop rock station, not even the pop rock station, on the pop stations, you know, the same stations mm-hmm. that play all the top Hot 100 songs. It was an edited version that cut the guitar solo. I hated that. It was just. I terrible. thought I thought you were gonna say they edited it to where it was like beep on feel the noise. <laughs> no, no, it was just. I'm just kidding. They, they edited the fucking guitar solo and I'm like why? You well, know uh, that's painful. As look, a, as I, a metal fan, like why cut the guitar solo? Well, it, it was they didn't cut all of it. They just cut a, a, a like a. There was a buildup in the song. Right, right after the second verse, it, it kind of slows down. It goes, dang, dang. Like it builds up to the guitar solo. Mm-hmm. And they went straight to the, they, pat, they bypassed the buildup and they went into this part of the guitar solo where Carlos Cavasso was kind of like um, going up the neck, trying to, you know, get, a, you know, from the lower key to the higher key. And, and then it just went straight into that. And I'm like, oh, God, this is terrible. <laughs> You know, and but radio edit it, you know, edit mind you, well, radio I'm, edits piss me off a lot of times. So, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, and the funny thing is, you know, it's because they were trying to get it down to like three minutes and 30 seconds. It the song itself was four minutes and 51 seconds long, you know, and it's like, really, you have to cut out a whole minute, but you know, I get that's pop radio. You know, if when it played on the rock stations, it played the full version, but when it played, when they played on, on the pop hot 100 stations they played the edited version and then when they did you know casey Kasem's top 40 they played it edit they played the edited version which mm. sucked but anyway <laughs> um so i mean i can see i mean i there's d- definitely a lot of credence to be had when it comes to um quiet riot now the reason why i left quiet riot off was because you're a philistine <laughs> No, um, no, it really, because, you know, I, I hadn't thought about, you know, we, we, we mentioned that, you know, some of the bands I picked was because of influence mm-hmm. and I really didn't think deeply enough about the influence that they had because of that one album, because after that, I mean, I liked them, but after that, you know, mama, we're all crazy now, which was another, um, uh, cover song from Slade didn't have the same impact. It was like, why are you doing another Slade cover? I mean, like now, now you're just becoming a, 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 rep- a repetitious, you know, comical version of yourself. Um, yeah, honestly, it's, it's really that first album. Yeah, and, and, and the, the first the, album just had such a wide reach. Yes. And I mean, the second album condition critical wasn't horrible. It came out a year later. Mm-hmm. It wasn't bad. I mean, I like, you know, sign of the times was a good song. Mama, we're all crazy. Now is a good song. Party all night was a good song. Um, you know, and winners take all was kind of like another take another ballad kind of song that was similar to Thunderbird, but it didn't have the same impact. Um, and then of course, part of the issue too, was Kevin Dubrow started running his mouth and people were just tired of his shit. All, <laughs> Got himself all, kicked all, out. Yeah, I know. Within three years, he gets himself kicked out of the band, um, which is crazy, or, or four years. And, and it's like, you know, how'd you? Side note: How'd you feel about that Paul Sortino album? They have one really good song, "Stay with Me Tonight." The, the, he's, the single. he's got a good voice. I love Paul's voice. I mean, he's got that rough kind of, uh, very similar voice to to the to um, Janis Joplin, and 
he did they did that song um uh they did that Janis Joplin song on their first album um what the hell's the name of the band I forgot Paul Shortino Rough Cut was their their first album they did um take a piece of my heart or piece of my heart um which was a Janis Joplin song and he did a great version great great cover and that's as far as they went you know Paul Shortino's on on stars the uh the the hearing aid uh benefit song yeah yeah he's he's, there, he's yeah. things on there and you can hear his voice so distinct i love his voice um and then really he didn't he never did anything else after that but he's been you know uh i mean he had he had his solo albums but yeah nothing major yeah nothing major and he's and he was like, like king cobra was he mm-hmm. yeah, he, yeah i think he still is hmm yeah, he's the he's the lead singer for right. He's King a singer. Cobra. Yeah, this is now. I mean, we're talking twenty twenty three. No, I know. I mean, I'm just. I saying. mean, he's he's maintained his life through one way or another singing. But yeah, I love I loved his voice back in the day. I'm 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 surprised that Rough Cut didn't get you know as big as they could have. Another one of those situations that probably got you know eaten up by a record company. If if you click on the link for um, "We Are Warriors" by King Cobra. It takes you to a Avril Lavigne album. On nice. <laughs> nice. <clears throat> Paul Shortino. I mean, you think about it, like rough, rough Cut. I mean, put out two albums, Rough Cut Wants You, and then they kind of disappeared. And then, you know, 10 years later, they, they, they reappear with live albums and EPs and bullshit. But Shortino had his career, and he's basically maintained himself. You know, and actually, yeah. he's he's been with King Cobra for a while. Yeah, since 2011. Yeah, so that's that's pretty uh, pretty impressive. Um, but I yeah I I thought he was a he was a great singer. It's just unfortunate that they never really took off. True. Now I said I said that um, "Piece of My Heart" was a Janis Joplin cover, but in all reality, that's actually a cover song of of an Irma Franklin song. Oh, okay. So I'm not I'm not familiar with the song. I'm gonna have to check it out after we, it, we get. It's a pretty today. cool song. I mean, their version's good. I mean, obviously Janice is Jan, Janice Joplin kind of made the song famous. I, I know the Jan, Janice Joplin version. Mm-hmm. I just don't know the Paul Shortino the, yeah, uh, rough, rough cut. cut version. Yeah, yeah. So anyhow, they uh, they 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 were a flash in the pan. But you're right. I mean, think about it. The album came out in 1985. You know, are they a result of Quiet Riot and the, and and Quiet Riot's popularity? Because they're from the same area, you know, Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a it's a good possibility that they're connected in that way. You know, I mean, right after, you know, what I say came out in '85. You know, basically, three years later, Paul Shortino is is now the lead singer of Quiet Riot. And Kevin Dubrow's out. Yeah, I thought that was weird back then when that happened. I I, I was like, oh shit, they fired the dude. But you know, yeah, he, he kind of rubbed people the wrong way many uh, times. Oh yeah, absolutely. So and then it's funny because at that point, I think they, you know, and, and this is total speculation. I think that um, Quiet Riot was thinking. Let's get a hold of this now. Let's get a new singer now. Because look, Van Halen did it. We can do it too. And I think I that's... Wonder, I, 
I wonder if there were several bands that kind of looked at that, like, cause, cause Van Halen obviously is one of the most successful bands that had, or that replaced their singer. And I wonder if a lot of bands had that confidence because of say like a Van Halen going or, you know, like replacing David Lee Roth with Sammy Hagar. Yeah. I mean, that is an interesting thought. Yeah. Yeah. So anyhow, that, that is, that's something I've thought about before. And so, you know, I, I, I see your point on, 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 uh, a quiet riot there, you know, especially over Dawkin. Um, I mean, it, I, I've come to, to appreciate Dawkin over the last few years. I, I really have because I, I was never a fan because I, I personally, I'm just not a, a big fan of Don's voice. It's not, it's not that his voice is bad by any means. It just doesn't have like, there's a couple albums where there's a lot of power behind it, but then most of them it's like it's so tame and i just want him to like go to that next level and just like pump it up and it just never happens and so i i'm just not a big fan but what i've come to really enjoy is the like the whole package the the music um you know uh, really you know the first few albums like i really like under lock and key um what's the one with into the fire Oh, tooth and nail. Tooth and nail. That one's great. And then breaking the chains. The, those three, for me, are are just great albums. Oh, I mean the the, the classic albums from the eighties. Because you got you got to add back for the attack in there. And he's got yeah. Some no, I more. like that one as well. Yeah. You know, so it's it's you know they were they were classic albums for them, and people loved to you know talk about oh you know I would love for Dokken to reunite. And it's so funny because we hear the same thing. You know, everyone wants Skid Row to reunite. Do we really, yes, you know, want I Skid Row do. to reunite? Do we really <laughs> want Dokken to reunite? And I look at it and say, because the nostalgia factor in your mind is, and I'm not saying yours, but in, in the person's mind that wants these, reu- these reunions to happen, it's like, you know, they're not going to sound or look anything like what you remember in oh, the 80s, real, yeah. you know? <laughs> so it's like your, your, your level of disappointment is going to be so high <laughs> when that show's over or even when the first chord hits that it's going to be like, oh, fuck, I should never have come, <laughs> you know, because you know? you're totally destroying y- your, your image. I don't I- think, I don't think um, Skid Row would be too bad. The problem obviously is their personalities and their ability to get along. Um, but I don't think Skid Row would like wreck it as much as some of the others where you go. No, right. I mean, I don't want to hear that. I mean, Sebastian's voice is still good. It's Um, still decent. Yeah. I mean, you can tell he's a bit older, especially in the last couple of years. Um, the new song that he released is not bad. Um, so I mean, he's not as, as bad as some of the others, but definitely I, I don't want, I don't want to necessarily see Doc and reunite. Oh, after, after hearing some of those songs that, that that I heard, no way. Yeah. Do I want to see them? It's just, I mean, I saw them in a club face to face. I got all four of the classic lineup to sign my, my, my poster. And I'm happy with that. And I'll, I'll leave it at that. Treasure the memory. Exactly. I'll treasure that memory. Um, so, the other bands that we had that were not in common, you picked Poison and I picked mm-hmm. Rap. So I'm going to go ahead and talk about Rap because I, I have some things to say about Poison that we'll we'll leave them for the end. Okay. So my fourth choice was Rat, and 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 the reason why I picked Rat was because I feel 
they had a big influence uh, on the scene. Um, and I could be wrong, but I believe, you know, they had a big influence on the scene. I mean, they were formed and for, for lack of a better idea, even though they were technically formed in 1976, um, rat changed their name in 1977 or they were, they formed as Mickey rat. They changed his rat, but the classic lineup formed in the early eighties. Um, and the classic lineup is Stephen Piercy on vocals, Warren Demartini on guitars, Robin Crosby on guitars, Juan Crozier on bass, and Bobby Blotzer on drums. Um, Juan Crozier also played bass on the first Dawkins album, Breaking the Chains. So and they're all related somehow, one way or the other. I picked Rat. Their first album, you know, comes out in 1984. It's a year after Quiet Riot's uh, debut album. I, I I think in, in this, the funny thing, they were around at the same time as Motley Crue. They just hadn't gotten signed. Um, 1983, they released their EP. So they, they had popularity locally, so they, they still weren't national. Um, so they were contemporaries of Quiet Riot. They were contemporaries of Dokken. They were contemporaries of Motley Crue. They were actually friends with Motley Crue. So they just didn't make it as fast as Molly Crew did. Um, they tried to go down the same route, do an independent record. Um, it grew some popularity, and they were they 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 were getting there, but they didn't. It didn't come as fast for them as it did for Crew, and as it did for Quiet Riot. Um, but out of the cellar, huge huge album. I mean, it's triple platinum. You know, um, the, the, the four albums that they released in the 1980s that are considered the classic albums was Out of the Cellar, Triple Platinum, Invasion of Your Privacy, Double Platinum, Dancing Undercover, Platinum, and Reach for the Sky, Platinum. And they even, uh, I believe is the one after Reach for the Sky, Detonator, came out in 1990. That went gold, you know. So that was basically the end of their run of albums until 1999 where they, 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 uh, got back together, but that's a whole nother story because they've never been the same band since they split after 1991. They, they, uh, they broke up and the classic five members of rat never would be together again. And then in 2002, Robin Crosby passed away from a heroin overdose one year after announcing that he was HIV positive. Um, they gotten back together, you know, but not all the five, classic guys were there until you know obviously now they can't do it after 2002 but before that between 91 and 2002 the five guys never got back together so that's, i that's crazy to think but yeah it's definitely true I, I i watched a it was i think it was a behind the music or something on them when right. we were an episode before and you know just kind of hearing their history and what happened with robin and how he kind of felt you know, uh, like he, he was let down by the other guys, you know, it was, it's kind of a sad history, but, um, yeah, I mean, I would agree with you in a lot of accounts, like with, with, you know, what their impact was and, and, um, you know, some of those things, but I, for me, I just, I don't I quite think of it the same way, but continue on. 
<laughs> and I and I understand that you know out of the cellar because when we did um, the head to head that included out of the cellar, I mean we we sat back and we analyzed it and you realize there's certain things about it you're like well you know Stephen Pierce he's not the the greatest vocalist in the world he's kind of you know got he's got one lane and he stayed in it yeah um, you know Warren D Martini excellent guitar player Robin Crosby excellent guitar player Warren obviously you know was more of the guitar hero than than uh, Robin I believe. Warren was more of the the lead guitarist, even though they both did a, they shared lead guitar together. Um, but you know, Warren just was more, I guess, popular for for what it's worth. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, for me, the band, you know, Out of the Cellar was a big, big album. You know, I I remember the, you know, I I can't sit there and say, oh. I was there, you know, when the EP was still independent. That's not true. I can't, I can't sit there and say that. I can sit there and say that I, I, I heard them. I, I was part of the, the boost that out of the cellar had, you know, cause I was listening to it. I saw it on MTV. I bought the record. I went back and I bought the EP. And then I went back and I found, I'm not mistaken. I found the original EP first and then they re-released it again uh in 80 in 85 before invasion of your privacy because of the popularity and the ep included the song you think you're tough which was was what got them signed to begin with i i think there's that influence because they were friends with molly crew because they were part of the whole scene they were to me they they're in it you know and and maybe you know when you think about it maybe uh they're a tertiary band similar to how Exodus was part of the Bay Area thrash scene, but they're they're not the big they're not part of the big four, although many many people think they should be. You know, they think they should, you know, be a big five. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with uh that rat is the exodus of this group. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um there's a couple decent songs, okay? I'm not going to take anything away from them. It's my personal opinion. Um, I think Round and Round is is still a classic song. Um, but for the most part, I just don't dig Rat Sound. I don't like what they do. Um, and it's just, it's just one of those bands that just, like, when I hear them, I'm just not into it. So, um, yeah, that's that's my feeling on Rat. So, so to finish off what I have to say about Rat um, <laughs> is is really I put them in there because they were part of that scene and they had a big album. Okay. Right? Without it a seller. Um, when I think back about Rat, the one, and this is a really weird thing to say, the one thing I didn't like about Rat, they never put out a live album. <laughs> <laughs> like like you look at their official releases and there's no live albums i wonder why i mean you look on their discography on wikipedia there's no live album <laughs> like they had some live stuff that popped up here and there mm-hmm. um on the video but no live album and i really i really really find that absolutely interesting and and confusing at the same time it's a little odd for that time period yeah so so rat to me is like an anomaly when it comes to this you know and i you know now that i think about it when i'm putting this all together you've got me all messed up man (laughs) 
<laughs> and I'm gonna mess you up even further with my argument. Well, here. no, no, your your argument with poison. I, I have a lot to say about that, and I'll and and we'll go into that when you talk about poison. So to finish off, rat. Yes, they're 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 strange. I put them in there because they were friends of Molly Crew and they were associated and they became big at the same time that everything blew up. 80, 1983, 84. So okay, that's, that's that's why I put them in. That's why it's my big four. Uh, I may have to go back and reevaluate this, and, and, and we'll do a whole new episode on another big four glam. <laughs> but anyway, I'm just joking. Um, poison, you picked poison, and uh, I completely understand why. So go ahead and tell me why. Okay, so poison. Um, you probably know I'm not the biggest fan, um, but at the same time, when I think of glam, again, like Motley Crue, I think of poison. Um, poison came in in well, they started in 1983. Um, they were under a different name at the time called, they called themselves Paris. The only difference being they had, uh, Matt Smith on drums, uh, sorry, <laughs> Matt Smith on guitars instead of CC DeVille at the time. So the original lineup that we're going to talk about is, is Brett Michaels on lead vocals and rhythm guitar, CC DeVille on lead guitar, Bobby Dahl on bass and Ricky Rocket on drums. Um, they released their first album in 1986, Look What the Cat Dragged In. Um, to me, the, you look at the cover of that album, them 100% glammed up, looking like ladies. Um, you know, that's a glam image. It's, it's just, they nailed it right there. Um, not to mention that is a huge album. Cry Tough, uh, Talk Dirty to Me, I Want Action, I Won't Forget You. Um, those are the the main singles, but the whole album itself, if you want a glam album, like that's a glam album. Um, their second album is open up and say, ah, and that one was, was even bigger. And so you, you're talking about out of the cellar. Well, out of the cellar was a three time platinum album and that was their second album. Right. So out of the cellar was a debut. Oh, okay. So they just had the rat EP before that. Right. Right. Yeah. So, Okay. So Invasion of Your Privacy, though, was not a bigger album. They went down, right? Yes. Poison got bigger after their first album. They released uh, Open Up and Say Ah, and it had nothing but a good time, Fallen Angel, Every Rose Has Its Thorn, which is just a crossover massive hit, and Brett Michaels won't let it go. Um, Your Mama Don't Dance. And so like this was an even bigger album. It was five times platinum in the U.S. Um, and across the board, in most countries like it was it was even bigger okay so then they released flesh and blood in 1990 now that one again was a three-time platinum album um it had unskinny bop which is a huge hit uh something to believe in ride the wind life goes on flesh flesh and blood sacrifice all big hits um, and that's into 1990, where it was kind of defying a little bit of what was going on in, in the music scene, where things were just starting to change. Um, you know, they, they had still a presence in the MTV scene. Um, you know, there's the famous, uh, you know, uh, performance where CC DeVille's whacked out of his mind and they play the wrong song and... You know, so there's there's still that aspect of it, and sure, you know, you get into 1993, uh, CC Deville's been been fired. They they hire Richie Kotzen. That's a whole mess of drama along with it. They they put out Native Tongue, which is just not a good album, and you know, there's some drama behind it. So you know, stuff with him and Ricky Rocket, and you know, 
if you're if you're curious there's there's a lot of information out there um but for me like you you really think about the glam scene like those three albums were absolutely massive when things were were kind of starting to die down a little bit for glam and they still like waved the banner they still came in and and did their thing and we're still a very popular band. So, yeah, sure, they didn't release albums as early as some of the other bands, but they were they were around during the early scene and, you know, they have some of the biggest albums that were ever released in that that genre. So, when I first put together my list, I had two different bands besides uh Rat and Dokken on my on my list. Poison was one of them. And I, I I didn't pick Poison because I, I said well they they came along too far into the into the the scene to to be kind of what I would say influential, right? But you know, are they a byproduct of the the earlier years? The bands like Motley Crue, Rat, Doc, and 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 uh, Bon Jovi are they a byproduct of that? And and they just perfected it. You know who knows? I, I don't know. I, but I I wanted to put them in, and I and I, I I mean I fucking hemmed and hawed back and forth. I'm like, do I or do I? I really really respect Poison be, in, in the regards of they they come out with look what the cat dragged in. I can't tell what they are on the front cover. I mean, I looked at that front cover. <laughs> I bought the album, and I'm looking at that thing, and I'm like, holy cow! And you know, back then. I didn't know about airbrushing. They didn't have that, that, that term photoshopped, you know, but yeah, they, but their makeup was airbrushed on, you know, cause they were, they, it was, it was a professionally done photo shoot. Um, so it was professionally done. It was, makeup. uh, what, what did they call it? Glamour shots. Yeah. Like, like glamour shots. <clears throat> and like, uh, like all the girls that I knew that were in, you know, middle school, high school, like they all got a glamour shot done. I just remember seeing those and going like, oh, those are, uh, those are nice. <laughs> so, you know, they are, are, you know, they're, I look at that record. I'm like, holy cow. I mean, who are these four guys? You know, are they guys? <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> it was, it was really weird. I mean, this is 1986. I remember when that album came out. I, I remember where I, I bought it. You know, it's the same place that I bought Metallica's whiplash ep same exact store uh it was in uh i'm trying to think it was in yonkers forgot what they call that part of yonkers um it's not downtown but um anyway um it 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 was a record store that was there i I went there as much as i could I, i mean i could walk there it was probably a half hour walk but i could walk there I bought that record. I'm like, wow, this is really good. I went home, listened to it. You know, loved, loved pretty much everything I heard on it. I mean, I listened to it a lot, you know, cry tough. I want action. Uh, I won't forget you. Obviously it was huge. Um, talk dirty to me was huge, but my favorite song on the album is actually look what the cat dragged in because it's just a freaking killer riff. So I didn't put them on there because I said, did they come too late to the game? but yet we're still big, right? I don't know. Mm-hmm. An- another band I had on there was Cinderella. You know, came out the same year. The two of them, Poison and Cinderella, both debuted the same year. Both had huge debut albums. Yeah. So that was originally going to be my, 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 my four. 
po- you know, with Poison, Cinderella, Bon Jovi, Motley Crue, but I, I changed it and went more with the the influential portion of it. Uh, maybe I made a mistake. <laughs> maybe. I think so. <laughs> do you do you now? I mean, look, Cinderella, their first album, triple platinum, just like Poison. Second album, triple platinum. True. Not not like Poison, but shit, that's still huge. No, it's, you know? it's it, I mean, you know, and then the it, third album, platinum. The only reason I didn't go with with Cinderella because they're so much more bluesy in sound. Right, and, and that's so yeah, and so they had that kind of glam image, but they didn't have really a glam sound per se to me. Like it, it, the first album, it, yeah, but yeah, exactly after the first that, album, yes, yeah. right. Where Long Cold Winter was more was a lot more blues album. It's yeah. much like you know, Long Cold Winter. The song itself was was a blues song. You know, uh, shit. The first song on the album, Bad Seamstress Blues, falling mm-hmm. apart the seams. Yes, it was supposed to be. Uh, a, they they were pushing towards the blues, and that's for the most part. This is the basis of all glam metal, anyway. But um, they were very blues, you know. Although Gypsy Road and Don't Know What You Got Till It's Gone, those songs were huge, just like you know Nobody's Fool and Shake Me, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I get it. I mean, I I I took them off and put on two other bands that I thought they weren't necessarily better. But I, I looked at it more as the scene and the influence. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm looking at this very objectively. Like, obviously, I'm not the biggest Poison fan, but I, I just, I feel strongly that Poison is is one of the better glam bands. Like, if you're looking at it from the genre um, perspective, right? Like, right. not not necessarily about what you like, but l- looking at it through the lens of what applies to the genre. See, and that's the funny thing because. You know, I like Poison more than I like Rat. Mm-hmm. I like Cinderella way more than I like Dokken. Yeah. But I, I, you know, so I should have gone with what I like. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. You know, but at, at the same time, I, you know, I like them all. I love them all. You know, it, it, I'm, I'm a big 80s glam guy. I'm an 80s thrash guy. And, you know, so it's, I liked all that stuff in the 80s because guess what? Yeah. In the 80s, it was all heavy metal. You know, when when you talked about quiet, uh, quiet riot influencing and, and and bringing in a lot of other bands, you know, mm-hmm. I look at bands like uh, Lizzie Borden. You know, they 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 exist because of you know Quiet Riot being able to make it and everybody else wanting something. It, that's exactly true. Mm-hmm. The the one band that we didn't mention, uh, there's a couple bands we didn't mention tonight. Um, Wasp. You know, they were, uh, they were part of that same scene. I think musically they, they began to lean towards a glam sound, but they didn't start that way. Yeah. Um, another band that we didn't mention that essentially absolutely are a glam band. Now I'm, I'm, I'm leaving a certain word out. They are a glam band is twisted sister. Yeah. Um, because they're much harder than a typical uh glam metal band although they're i wouldn't put i wouldn't put the style of music that they play as glam metal i want to rock we're not going to take it to me those are not glam metal songs but there's they're the band itself is glam 
No, and they, they were a little bit more cartoony than some of the other bands. Like Correct. where they they, they were more silly in their appearance versus um, you know, a little bit more uh effeminate trying to to appear, you know, with, with the makeup and everything the other bands. They were trying to be a little bit more ambiguous, whereas Quiet Riot was more like looking like grandmas and stuff, you know, like <laughs> right. not quite right. Why did I say that? Like Twisted Sister, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. There, I mean, there's a few other bands that I think like had some major impact. Um, I mean, White Snake is one of those where like they they took on kind of more of a a glam appearance, but necessarily weren't a glam band per se. You know, they're during the the U.S. initial run. They they kind of had that glam look, but not necessarily being a glam band. You know, more bluesy again. Uh, Night Ranger, uh, like you said, Cinderella. I mean, Skid Row's at the end of the ta- tail end of that, but I I've never really thought of Skid Row as a glam band. Yeah, hair band maybe, but not glam. Right, uh, exactly. But they're they're lumped in there because of Bon Jovi. Yeah, way yeah. heavier in sound. Um, you know, speaking slaughter. Of, speaking of Bon Jovi, by the way, Bon Jovi brings out Cinderella and Bon Jovi brings out uh, Skid Row. Mm-hmm. Think about that. You know, there, there's, there's a circle of influence there that's huge. Yeah. You know, another band we didn't mention that actually started before Poison and before Cinderella or not started, but they released their first album um, was White Lion who had a big album in 87 yeah. with pride, but their first album fight to survive is an independent classic. If you want to look at it that way, they were, it was pretty big. Um, and it's funny here. It's, it, Wikipedia says it was released on Atlantic records. It was not released on Atlantic records. Uh, that, yeah, that didn't happen. <laughs> and, and on the other end of it, um, Vixen could even be considered a, a glam band. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, definitely. So there's so many glam bands out there. Um, but, you know, it, what started it all? You know, it was, if you look at it, I mean, Twisted Sister was really early on in that. But they were they were New York Dolls glam. They were Kiss glam, you know, because Kiss Kiss basically was a glam band. But they're not, a, they weren't, a, they didn't have that metal, uh, glam metal style until the 80s. Yeah. And then, then, you know, then they were, again, following the trends as opposed to setting the trends. So, yeah, I mean, glam even really started before that, right? Like, because there's band like T Rex, right? T Rex, the New York Dolls, you know. I mean, Queen and David Bowie even had a lot of that that glam kind of thing exactly. going. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Elton John, even right? <laughs> yeah, to some degree. I mean, shit. You think about it. In the middle '80s, Pantera was a glam band. It's know? true. Yeah. So, so anyhow, there was a, a lot of glam out there so that was your big four and that's my big four so i wanted i wanted to ask you uh because i mentioned this earlier today so out of your four who is say the metallica the megadeth the anthrax and the slayer of your bands um (laughs) uh, so out of my four the the ones that i picked that i announced um um, bon jovi's metallica i same i said the same thing and and um, the reason why is Bon Jovi started off as a as a glam band, but then evolved, changed, continued to have that level of success that never really changed, and is even bigger now than they ever were. Right. Same and, thing as Metallica. Right. Now the other ones, 
So here's the funny thing about the other ones. If you, other than docking, okay, and and you, Motley Crue can sit there and say, well, we came out with new music in 2018. You know what? That shit sucked. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, the the they they have not put out good music since since uh, 1991 when they released um, uh, what was that single that was on their greatest hits album, uh, Primal Scream. That was the last really good song, and I I and I would even give Hooligans Holiday when after they fired Vince Neil as a decent song, and that was a single. After that, they haven't put, they haven't released a, a damn good song since then, and I don't care what you have to say about it, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, ouch. So, and let's see, Anthrax. Who would be the same as Anthrax? Mm, probably Dokken. Okay. Um, and then uh, Slayer. <laughs> Motley Crue's like Slayer, you know. There's... Motley Crue is my Slayer as well. Um, and then uh, Megadeth would be uh, Rat. All right, so Megadeth for me was Quiet Riot because Dave and uh, uh, and, Dave, uh Dave and Kevin, Kevin <laughs> Big Mouths, yeah, right. And so for me, Anthrax was Poison because they're they're like, you know they don't really have any enemies or anything like that. They've, they've gone through some changes in this and that, but like, yeah, they're just kind of like the, the, the consistent ones. That's, that's pretty funny. Yeah. So I, th- I think mine, <laughs> especially quiet, right. It works yeah, really well. Yeah, yours line up a lot better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that brings us now to our big four for this evening, even though we've been talking about the big four, um, our big four, glam metal vocalists and so this is um an interesting take as well um i wonder what what it's going to be like so uh, since you went first on this i'm going to go ahead and go first on mine okay all right so number four for me is don dockin um you mentioned uh, something about his voice and not being powerful and there's some times where he kind of brings it um he's just very soft he's soft singer soft spoken um uh, sometimes he you know, he's another one that rubs people the wrong way with, you know, cause he's outspoken, but I think that's just cause he's a curmudgeon and a grumpy old man. Um, and he's always been a grumpy old man cause he's always been older than everybody else. Yeah. And although George Lynch is also older too. Um, but compared to Jeff Pilson and Mick Brown, they're only they're, one can be the oldest. Exactly. The old <laughs> um, so, so Don, you know, I like his voice. I think, for the music that they put together and, and the way that they wrote it, it went, it, it, it mixed well, you know, I, sometimes he could have come out with a little bit more balls to him, but you know, it is what it is. Number three, uh, John Bon Jovi. Um, I think his, his, I mean, obviously it was all the package, John Bon Jovi, the singer, the image, the, 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 the looks, I mean, shit, people cried because he cut his hair in 1990. You know, it's, it's crazy to think about that. Um, but he, I, I love his voice. I always try to emulate his voice as a singer. I, you know, wanted dead or alive is an amazingly good song. I love to be, I would love to be able to sing that song. I actually karaoke it. I listened back to it. I'm like, oof, hit a couple, <laughs> hit a couple notes there. I shouldn't have hit. <laughs> that was pretty good. Um, <laughs> and, um, but I, you know, I love his solo album that he did, uh, for, uh, blaze, of, blaze of glory. Um, the, uh, young guns Two soundtrack. That was great. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's my number three vocalist. Number two for me, and a lot of people are going to sit there and argue, oh, well, this guy's vocals are not that great. Tom Kiefer. 
Okay. Is there something about him? Just again, just like Bon Jovi, the image, the look, the vocals, the the styling. Um, I mean, he's a, he's he's a Steven Tyler ripoff right in front of your face. You know, just the way he 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 looks, not the way he sings, the way he looks, and the image, and the, and the way he has scarves and shit on his, his microphone. But vocally, very different. He can sing clean, but then when he gets when he starts to push that vocal, it just turns raspy and it turns higher pitch very similar to janice joplin very similar to paul shortino although i think shortino had a lower register to his voice where tom was a little higher pitched uh and number one for me is mr poison brett michaels he is uh to me you know he can scat he can sing he can he can yeah uh like what's what's david lee roth do he's uh he's an entertainer Mm -hmm. he's um He's a vocalist, but it but Brett has better vocals than David Lee Roth. Brett can actually sing, um, but he's so he's a he's a really good talent, um, and so Brett Michaels is my number one big four vocalist of glam. Okay, um, mine's a bit different. Yeah, um, my number four is D. Snyder. Um, I think D has a really unique voice, a really strong voice. And um, a lot of times, because of the way he sings, you don't realize how good of a singer he can be. Um, And so, like, even though, again, I'm not, I'm not the biggest Twisted Sister fan, but uh, I have a lot of respect for Dee's abilities. Um, My number three, I believe, was your number three as well, Tom Kiefer. Um, I think Tom has my number two. Who's your number two? Okay. Tom has a great voice, um, and he um, overcame a lot, you know, with his his uh, damaged vocal cords, and has come back and and still sounds great today. Um, he has a really unique style again, and I think like his vocals really set Cinderella apart. Uh, my number two is Blackie Lawless. Um, I love Wasp. I love the sound that Blackie has. It's very, again, to use the same word again, uh, unique. Um, Blackie has this kind of um, vibrato that nobody else has, and I, I just always, have always really enjoyed his vocals. Um, not necessarily the best singer ever, but for me, it's it's. I mean, this is we're talking about favorites, right? So, you know, I I prefer his voice over many others. And my number one is uh, Mr. Uh, John Bovey himself, Mr. John Bon Jovi. Um, he, uh, if you if you get the joke, you get the joke. He's uh, that was a, a um, uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia reference. Anyway, um, so John Bon Jovi. I mean, just up until recently, obviously he's had some vocal problems where he doesn't have the power that he used to. He's also quite a bit older, um, so it's totally understandable. Um, but he's still doing his thing. He's still enjoying himself, but, um, his voice always was one of those that, um, like I said, had massive crossover appeal, very powerful, um, you know, and just a range, like very few others that you could, you can even imagine. Um, and so like, you know, I don't go out of my way to listen to Bon Jovi a lot. Uh, but when it comes on, I usually don't skip it because, you know, good songs and and a lot of uh talent 
and skill in that band. So, um, yeah, Bon Jovi, number one. Never thought I would say that. <laughs> with a bullet. Um, I know, you know, nothing wrong with your list. I, although, I mean, do you, do you consider Blackie part of, or Wasp part of the, the glam scene? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I mean, they're, they're tertiary. I mean, they're, they're on the edge, on the cusp of it, right? But they're still part of the glam scene. Yeah, I mean, inside the electric circus was definitely glam. Yeah, you know, last command there was a, there was definitely a, a, the crossover was 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 happening because they had the production; it was very polished. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think they're like I said, they're not in my big four or anything, but like, you know, I still I still see glam when I think about them to some to some extent. All right. Well, it sounds good. Well, that's our big four glam metal vocalists. And that's the end of this episode of Debating Metal. I'd like to remind everyone, if you like what you heard today, click like or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or whichever one that you subscribe to. And then you can get our latest episode as soon as it's posted. And while you're at it, leave a review or a rating so we know how we're doing. And don't forget to leave us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or send us an email to debatingmetal at gmail.com. YouTube viewers, click subscribe and ring the bell to be notified when we post a new episode. So remember to tune in to the next episode when we spark up another exciting metal debate. On behalf of Kenneth and myself, stay safe and always turn it up to 11. See ya!